Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. The Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. Cool. You already recording? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm always recording, but, you know. <gasps> I delete I delete the uh, scraps immediately afterwards. Not that they're scraps, but, you know... <laughs> You understand. Every everything I look, if I'm gonna be a voice actress, everything I say is precious. Okay. Well then the podcast has already started. <laughs> Welcome Bizzlecast listeners to uh, shooting Star Wars episode 004 here with Brit Girl from Australia. We're gonna keep this one somewhat short. I did want to get her thoughts about the current Star Wars situation and promote our epic podcast that's gonna be coming in a few days. Uh Hell Brittany, yeah. you just went to Comic Con. Um, yeah. in Australia. So, A, where in Australia was it? B, was this your first Comic-Con? And C, what was the main thing you took away from it as a tease for our larger uh, podcast that is coming in a few days about con culture and so forth? Mm, all right. So, it's in Brisbane, Australia. So, that's, funnily enough, halfway down the eastern coast. You think Sydney is, but Sydney is actually more three-quarters of the way down. So, we're halfway down the Australian eastern coast. Uh, it's my first Comic-Con. However, I have gone to previous Supernovas. And a takeaway, well... Wait, hold on, hold on. I want you to me- save the takeaway for one sec. Oh, okay. Um, explain to the American audience what the connection is between this con, the Nova cons, and what we're used to in the States, some of which are Comic-Con, some of which spawn off of Comic-Con, some of which are totally separate. Um, is it like a franchise? Is it a totally independent thing? Well, that's a really good question. It's something I should look into further, but I think the biggest thing is size. Like, we've definitely... I'm not sure... I know you guys have Comic-Cons. Do you have Supernovas? No, because we have uh, cons in every major city, okay. basically. Um, yeah, so... Comic-Con is like 200,000 people at this point. Yeah. So, it's not Comic-Con's, even considered... Yeah, go Yeah. Ahead. You guys, y- your conventions are just massive compared to ours. Like, massive. I think it gets crowded in the areas that we go to trying to, you know, do all these Comic-Con and, and nerdy things. But Comic-Con, yeah, is mostly to do with, um, as in the name, the comic books and stuff, comic book movies... When you get to Supernova, that's more like a mesh of comic anime, um, furries as well. That's the thing that's coming up. Um, oh, furries and, have yeah, been around for a culture. while, but that's another yeah, discussion. I guess yeah. it's just something I'm just learning then. <laughs> yeah. But yes, yeah, so I think that's the kind of like the separation there. But yeah, that's something I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't been to an American Comic-Con, but uh, I believe the biggest difference is really the size and the availability of actors. So you guys have this huge Hall H. Yeah, which has all the trailers, uh, premieres. Okay, wait, and hold, all on, that. hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. When did H become H in the uh, Commonwealth? Because there was definitely a shift where English people and Australian people used to say H, and now it's H. When did that happen? Actually, properly, it is H. Um, I think we're just lazy. And there's a funny, f- there's a funny. Uh, but it happened. It was a thing. Yeah. This is okay. So there's a theory behind the Australian accent. So uh, it's commonly known that Australia is populated, well, was you know populated by convicts and criminals. you know sailors yeah. and, and criminals, <clears throat> which is convicts. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I am not one of them. My parents literally came, uh, afterwards, uh, quite literally, because I'd be very old if I was. Yes. You are a perfect example of nurture and not nature. Go ahead. <laughs> but th- there was nothing to do. So, a lot of the convicts and stuff, when they, you know, lived out their term or, or they, uh, you know, gained access to it, they usually just got really drunk. 
Yes. So our accent, some people theorize, is actually based on the drunken convict. If you if if you removed uh, or modified one or two or maximum three uh, vowel uh, consonant combinations, I, I would think you were British, and that's why when I initially contacted you, I'm usually good at at, at getting the Australian accent, the New Zealand accent. Mm-hmm. It's quite easy to actually think that we're British. It's not that hard to get a bit of a difference. Like it's not that hard. You to sound like Daisy Ridley, like, either. No. Like literally, you sound like Daisy Ridley. Daisy Ridley, do I really? Oh, that's that's actually quite quite lovely. Yeah. But then you also want to know how to round your vowels and sound more particular. Yeah, I'd probably like, like to be a part of the Pemberley household when I'm speaking like this. Did you know that Kira Knightley was a double for Natalie Portman in the prequels? I think I heard that. Yeah. yeah. No. And they I, look I, yeah. almost exactly the same. They do. Yeah. I think it's insane the age gap between. Even though one's a proper English girl and one's a total Israeli Jewish girl, they look basically the same. Mm, well, I mean, like, it, the world's just getting more singular, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. everyone's. Got so many different variant backgrounds, but yeah. you're kind of just in one place, if you know what I mean. It's globalized. Yeah. Globalization, that's what I'm looking for. Okay, so I want to make this one, I know I say quick and it's an hour, but I really do want to make this <laughs> one quick, especially because the sun's about to come up on the East Coast, which is fine. I, I enjoy staying up late and then having a short sleep and then working hard and then sleeping during the weekend. So this is fantastic. And I want to ask you about some Star Wars questions because you're not a huge fan. You're a newer fan, and that's why I really yeah. value your opinion. And so I want you to just briefly tease one or two t- really interesting topics or interviews or experiences uh, without too much detail uh, uh, for the podcast that we're going to be talking about this weekend about Comic-Con. Cool. Well, the, the biggest thing, like all the stories that I've come away with, is just the various, the diverse range of people you meet at Comic-Con. Like, it is insane. That's what everyone says. Yeah. It's everyone, you realize when you're in your family or when you're with your friends at uni or at work, you're the nerd. But when you go to Comic-Con, how do you classify yourself as the nerd when everyone is the nerd? And it's actually quite lovely because you, you can you find people with common grounds, common interests, and you learn things about other people that you, you just go, wow, I really want to try that. I want to do that. So the people, the people just, I've got some wonderful stories from that. And, and, and you know what you never hear about from conventions is any major controversies between people. Yeah, there is um, the problem with uh, some sexual harassment that does mm. happen sometimes. Luckily, I didn't witness anything. I think this is more in Australia than America. Yeah. Oh, it can be. You you look at, um, there are videos, a lot of videos out there about common courtesy at Comic-Cons and Supernovas and well, stuff. Well, you also and it's, talked it's, about the guy who introduced Wonder Woman, who you were really pissed at, for example. Like, yeah, that would that never was, happen in this country. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying we're the no. best thing ever, but that wouldn't happen here. There's, yeah, Australian humor is quite weird in that we like, we, we kind of like to toe the line, but I think it's kind of being, it should, it, it needs to be pulled back to a certain extent. Like, I mean, um, we, for some reason, Australians love racial stereotyping. And it happens so often, and it can be quite funny when everyone's on board, but in, in other cases, it can be quite harmful. Interesting. And yet, as a female, you appear f- 
fairly nonplussed by the whole thing. I mean, it doesn't stop you. You kind of just make your no, comment I, and move on. Yeah, well, I I believe that um, I need to. I like to sit in the middle. I like to listen to both sides, and even then, I usually don't make a solid opinion on things because mm-hmm. I like to. Like, obviously, there are going to be some things where I put my foot down and say, "No, that's ridiculous. I don't like mm-hmm. it." But I do believe in listening to both sides, and and you're the one in the middle. You know. you're, you're like I'm a great. You're like a great you Jedi. <laughs> you're not like full light side yeah. or full dark side. Oh, yeah, you're I'm like probably, a great Jedi. I'm probably yeah, great Jedi. I like that. Okay, so people, Brittany has some amazing stories uh, from Comic Con involving cosplay and Jason Momoa and lots of other stuff, which I'm so excited about. It's going to be more of me just a straight interview of Brittany about her experience because despite doing a podcast for two and a half years and almost 200 podcasts and all sorts of stuff, I've never been to like a straight up convention before. And I listen to tons of podcasts and I have friends that go to conventions and so I love hearing about it. But uh, I went to so many musical festivals and, and uh, those kind of events back in the day. And uh, I'm wary of big crowds. I know it sounds weird. I have a thing against big crowds. Like, Come to Australia then. That'd be yeah, like the best way to work your way up. If it wasn't for all the snakes and giant spiders, I, I, huh. I would be a little bit more... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrified of spiders and I've made it to my 23rd. So, you know, yeah. it's not too bad, but yeah, oh, you kind I'm of... Not, I'm not scared of spiders. I, I am deathly afraid of snakes, like even tiny ones. Spiders don't bother me from a physical standpoint, but I just yeah. know that there's some ridiculous ones in, in Yeah, well... Well, put it this way. My brother once found a huntsman, which can grow to about the size of your palm in uh, downstairs. And he decided, my brother decided he's going to squish this spider, which is, thank goodness he did. Uh, Unfortunately, that spider had a lot of babies on its back and they all just scattered away. I never thought about that. I I had to hit a spider with a baseball bat when I was in Botswana because it was so big. It like... No magazine or broom would have taken care of it. Um, So this is a great transition, Brittany. Um, Mm. So how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? 24? I am 23. I'm turning 24 next year. God bless you. Uh, (laughs) 20s is amazing. And you're, you're set up for an amazing experience. Keep riding the wave that you're riding right now. But... Oh, I just... I don't want to get dumped, you know? I don't want it to... Dumped? Do you know the term when I say dumped? Well, dumped it's here like means like dum- dumping a girl or a boy, but yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like you get dumped by a wave. It's like you, you you're riding the wave, then all of a sudden you lose your balance, and then you. <laughs> you're in the perfect age group. So you were born in 1997, 96. I'm going to need to refresh myself on the titles. <laughs> uh, episode two, the first one with Hayden Christensen. When oh, yeah, yeah. Him. Yeah, and there was a huge thing when I was in yeah. grade four. Like this, yes. I remember my teacher actually saying he timed the advertisements for that film and yep. said it was ridiculous that they went for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's just one of the strange, strange things children well, whatever. remember. There's always strange things from George Lucas. But the bottom line is, if you're a major Star Wars fan like me, Attack of the Clones is easily, in my opinion, the worst film. However, you do have Natalie Portman kicking major ass. You do have young Hayden Christensen, who, by all accounts from women of your generation, is hot. 
and more than Luke Skywalker, maybe not as much as Han Solo. Um, But he's remembered fondly, and he was at Star Wars Celebration for the first time since back in the day this past year, and he got a bigger applause than Luke Skywalker. He arguably got a bigger applause than Han Solo. He got a bigger applause from all the (laughs) secondary characters. The women in the audience were going fucking nuts. And and, uh, Brittany... Here's my main selling point for Star Wars, and then I have a few questions, uh, and then mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get this going so we don't go too far, which is there are more Star Wars podcasts, at least in this country and as well in England, that are either all women or a mix of women and men. Mm compared to the Marvel and DC podcasts, which are almost exclusively men in this country. Now, God bless you guys if women have more of a voice in the comic book scene in Australia. That's fantastic. But other than Wonder Woman, in this country, it's very, very male-dominated. You know, Disney doesn't need to go to Comic-Con anymore because they have Celebration in U.S. and uh, Europe. And, you know, they get everyone from Daisy Ridley to the voice talent of the Star Wars animated series, The Clone Wars and The Rebels, uh, which clearly the best characters in the animated series are women. I mean, I compare it to the Defenders, right? I mean, if you were to pick the top five to seven characters in the Defender series... From your perspective, how many of them are women? At least half. Misty Knight, Claire Temple, Jessica Jones, right? That's three right yeah. there. I personally yeah. really like Colleen. I, you know. Yeah. I, I love... Uh, um, oh, what's the cop's name? Misty. That's Misty Knight. Misty. No, yeah, you've already said her. Yeah, yeah. So, agreed. We're in agreeance. <laughs> yeah. So, at least four... And then, even though Sigourney Weaver's writing was poor, she's fucking Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. She Five. definitely had a dominance in the yeah. scenes. And even though Electra was extremely mishandled, the few times she gets to express true emotion, I, I personally find it very compelling, as you know. My, uh, Luke Cage was the only male character in uh, The Defenders that really stood out to me, personally. He did. He had a really nice, um, I guess, realness to him. Where he's just kind of like saying to Iron Fist, you don't have to fight. You c- you have money. You can manipulate things that way. Yep. Like, he's like trying to give understanding of a situation, but in, in, a, in a different way. And I love those like uh, yeah. um, investigations into yeah. uh, social issues and stuff when it's, okay. it's looked at in another angle. So, here, here's going to be my transition back to Star Wars with the Defenders. Mm-hmm. The Defenders on Netflix as of now even compared to Iron Fist, is the least watched of any of the Netflix Marvel series. Oh. Uh, Jessica Jones is the most watched they've admitted. I mean, you know, me and you know that this is as it should be, but it's nice to get validation. Uh, Daredevil's second, uh, Luke Cage's third, and then Iron Fist and the Defenders is last. And people think the team-ups are starting to getting a little tiresome, at least the official team-ups. That's why I think Thor is going to work so well, because it's yeah. sort of an unofficial team-up between good guys and bad guys and guys in the middle, you know? So it's more like <laughs> the Firefly, Firefly crew uh, in, Serenity, you know, in Firefly. Um, but in Star Wars, it's always a team-up. Even when it's a one-off team up in Rogue One, 
So here's my question for you. You saw The Force Awakens, I assume, in the mm-hmm. theater. Yeah. You liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. I think we can agree the best part of that movie by far are the characters. The fact that you have anywhere from three to six new great characters, depending on how you want to yeah. judge it. But Ray, Finn, and Kylo Ren, clearly. And then you add Luke, Leia, and Han, and... Um, I've heard, uh, Harrison Ford actually was paid $200,000 per minute of the movie. Ugh. So he made something like 25, 30 million dollars. It's probably why they had to cut and like kill him off. No, he's wanted to get killed off since Return of the Jedi. And he thought it w- he thought Return of the Jedi would be more meaningful if he had died. But they convinced mm-hmm. him not to, which was smart. And this was the perfect death with his son. And with a $2 billion receipt plus billions in merchandising, I think $25 million for Han Solo was more than worth it, uh, considering what we got from him. But then you saw Rogue One, again, as not someone who grew up as a major Star Wars fan, because, again, you were sort of in the middle. Like, the, the original trilogy came out quite a bit before you grew up, and the prequels were right in the middle. And if you don't feel the prequels, then you're like, okay, this universe is kind of dying, right? I mean, mm. think about when you saw Revenge of the Sith in 2005. You're probably thinking, this is the end of Star Wars, right? That's what we're thinking. Well, Star Wars, yeah, I think the best way to explain it is that Star Wars for you is what Harry Potter is for me. I grew up with Harry Potter. I've I've lived through all the films and the books. Yeah. And it's comparable because they're doing Fantastic Beasts, which is continuing mm. the universe. They're doing the play, which is everyone says is amazing. Yeah, it's um it was actually very intelligent how um and all the controversy in how people were like, well, "How dare you um, cast a, you know, black woman as Hermione?" And then someone looked through the books and actually said, "Hermione was never said to be white. What are you talking about?" And just people had made that assumption. And this is the, and this is the argument for both sides, which is <laughs> they cast Emma Watson because Emma Watson was just a virtuoso from a little kid, and they just knew it. Yeah. I mean. They probably screen tested a bunch of minority characters and other white characters, and they just like you couldn't turn down Emma Watson, and she just no. made one point one billion dollars with Beauty and the Beast. So, you know, I I think that was the right decision. But I've heard the people of color uh, commentary and critique and about Hermione, and I'm glad they're starting to address that. And do you notice, by the way? What is Harry Potter doing with their second manifestation of the franchise? Are they going to the future? Nope. They're nope. going to the past. Yeah. Which is exactly what Star Wars did with the prequels, which were not great. But then they <laughs> flowed that into the Star Wars Clone Wars, which Lucas sunk so much of his own money in to make beautiful. And then it was bought by Disney. They they took that into canon along with the movies. And now we're doing Star Wars Rebels, which is even better. It's like Pixar plus Star Wars. It's so fucking good. Yeah, which is which is so interesting for someone who's outside of of the fandom. I do hear that. I hear Clone Wars. I hear. Um, uh, you just said the name. The second one as well. Just all these animated Rebels, uh, films coming with it. But Ahsoka's in both. Yeah. You know, they bring back Darth Maul, who should never have come back, but because of the voice performance, is amazing, and his interaction with old Obi Wan Kenobi, it's really good. 
Mm. But the, it, with all of these as well, I happened to stumble across a, um, a Star Wars comic that had Leia on one of her missions crash land on this, um, this, this labor-intensive planet. And this one <laughs> red-headed tall girl, which mm. is what really made me go, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. Mm. And it's just following that story of how this, this lady who saves Leia is now thinking, now do I hand her over? Because she hates the rebellion. The rebellion is creating this turmoil as well. This war is continuing because of the rebellion. But then she hates the empire. There's a new um, a great book that's technically young adult, but is really for everybody, called Leia, Princess of Alderaan, uh, which is by Claudia Gray, um, who has become the sort of, like, I'm not saying she's as good as Stephen King, but she's become the equivalent of Stephen King within the Star Wars new canon genre. And she's written the best adult political book about Leia five years before The Force Awakens, which explains Kylo Ren, essentially, and her relationship with Han Solo. She's written Lost Stars, which is literally a romance between a rebel pilot and imperial pilot during the years after the prequels, which is just beautiful uh, it's like poetry um and now she's written princess leia of alderaan where Pri- leia 16 and starting to deal with these things mm. so here's my question for you i have two main questions and maybe i'll leave it at that for now so my first main question i want to focus on the movies because in case we don't get time for the second question so the force so in 2009 i'll give you a little quick timeline 2009 jj abrams directs the star trek reboot movie with chris pine chris hemsworth zachary quinto zoe saldana and you know carl urban uh, i think chris hemsworth was in that one as uh, chris pine's dad just for a split second. Yeah, and in the opening 10 minutes where you're like literally crying already, like 10 minutes into the movie. <laughs> Why? Yeah, yeah. Um, c- confirmed by many male friends of mine. I mean, it's, it, you know. And, and by the way, the Spock O'Hor relationship is going to go down as the least likely but most successful science fiction romance that we've seen so far. Maybe we'll see one in the new Star Wars movies. I don't want to get into speculation on that now, but right as of now, Zoe Saldana and Zach Quinto, who's gay in real life, but they're very close friends, have, you know, you never think Spock would be capable of that. So anyways, J.J. Abrams nails it. Then Disney buys uh, Star Wars in 2012. Then J.J. Abrams directs the sequel, Star Trek Into Darkness, with Benedict Cumberbatch as the bad guy in 2013, and it's really subpar. Uh, you could almost tell that he was distracted by the Star Wars project already, which is fine. There were some there were some good things about it. And then he came out and he nailed The Force Awakens and all the complaints about it being too similar to the original. I could care less because the character stuff and the dialogue, I mean, the Ray Finn stuff and the ship and BB-8 giving the thumbs up with the lighter to Finn <laughs> and, you know, the, the Poe-Finn bromance and, you know, is Raylo going to be a thing? I mean, you would never imagine that that could be possible, but, you know, I mean, there's so many strands. Yeah. There's an interesting thing when people say that um, Star Wars, uh, sorry, The Force Awakens and the original Star Wars in 1977, in them saying that they're so familiar, there's actually something we learn in, in writing that says there aren't, like, everybody's copying everyone. Like, there are only three original stories. Well, not only that, 
let, let me let me be totally factual here. Have you watched Return of the Jedi fifty times? No, no. Because I have. Have you watched Empire Strikes Back thirty to forty times? No. Exactly. Do you have a general impression that the prequels were not great, but you haven't watched them a lot? Uh, I actually watched the prequels more because we had them on DVD. Yes. So, um, so I know the younger generation <sighs> likes the prequels. I, I, well, yeah, they're <sighs> fine. Like, I mean, I, watching them again, I do see how uh, young um, Anakin can be very whiny. But at the same time, he's a teenager. Yep. That's what they kind of are. Like, just give him a fringe and he would have fit into, yep. like, the noughties emo, emo movement. Totally. And, in fact, in the uh, Star Wars dice and card game that's taken over like crazy that me and my friends have been playing, uh, young Kylo Ren's called the – they just call him emo. Because <laughs> 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 he's so emo. But in, in Star Wars tradition, it is the supporting characters who steal the show. It's Ewan mm. McGregor as Obi-Wan. It's Yoda. It's Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu. It's Ian McDermott, who's ageless, playing the Emperor. I mean, you look at him in 1983, he looks a bazillion years old. And you look at him now, just a regular guy, you know, like, still doing it. it, it his, his interaction with Anakin in the final movie, Revenge of the Sith, makes it really special to me. That's the one prequel that I really identify with. Especially when you connect it with the Clone Wars series, the Rebels series, and then Rogue One, and then the main, uh, you know, stuff that's going on. And that's why I think you'll like Rebels, because it literally, now in the final season, is leading directly into Rogue One. I mean, Krennic's in it, they're talking about Stardust, um, Saw Gerrera, played by Forrest Whitaker, voiced by Forrest Whitaker, um has been great and it's gonna take it to a new level and so what i was getting to with the harry potter is everyone warns against doing prequels because you see the star wars prequels they're very divisive you look at the hobbit prequels those are agreed to be very poor like it, as bad as the star wars prequels are at times i will always watch the star wars prequels over the hobbit prequels yeah uh which which are just a real shame for someone who loves lord of the rings um and by the way dave filoni who runs the uh animation division at lucasfilm and is like executive producer on their story group and was actually rumored to be a director for a future movie i think he might get that chance but um He's obsessed with Miyazaki, the brilliant Japanese anime 2D artist, um, like Princess Mononoke and so forth. Yeah, um, oh, those are beautiful. Yeah, like Ahsoka. If you look at Ahsoka and then you look at the main characters and the wolves and Princess Mononoke, he'll admit he like took it right from that. Um, and he's obsessed with Lord of the Rings. So, for example, he connects Princess Leia to Aeon as you know children of the 80s and 90s growing up having aon in the books and leia in the movies you know it was never you know it was never a question for me that women could be both badasses as well as complicated sensitive characters Mm -hmm. like it's easy for me to look back and say that but it's really true you know like definitely I think there's some sexist readings of Leia that say, oh, she's just a side character, but I don't see her that way. Yeah, which is unfortunate because that's one thing that delayed me into actually fully enjoying the first three films because I, I, sometime, I think probably at the end of last year, I binged the first three films really late at night, so they all kind of blur together. But um, 
yeah, you just you watch that as at where I am now without the um, influence of other people saying, you know, she's being sexualized or whatever. She's actually no. a great character. She's phenomenal. Yep. She actually pulls the guys into line like, what are you guys doing? Stop arguing. Let's do something. It's funny. Men men are men are more offended by the slave Leia than the women are. <laughs> it's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah that that was an interesting scene but I think everything else was it's it's fine like it's it's a part yeah, of the story part of the it's plan. the situation as well yeah. well you should see um return of the jedi how it should have ended and then we'll discuss how good that plan is I'm not into those videos I don't care how it should have ended I love return of the jedi the original mm. version without the uh, for me the edits of return of the jedi are the most egregious because yeah. They have that stupid rock band in Jabba's Palace, which completely um, destroys how dark and serious the situation is. And then they replace the adorable Ewok song, you know, Yub Yub, which you've probably never even seen at the end of the movie. And they replaced it with George Lucas showing all the galaxy locations like Naboo and Coruscant that we're going to see in the prequels, like, you know, and... uh, you know, at the end of Return of the Jedi, you see the Force Ghost of Yoda and Obi Wan, and then you see like old, crusty Anakin Skywalker, and now it's Christian mm. ha- uh, Hayden Christensen. And you know, yeah. it's funny because I do vaguely remember actually watching that really like when I was really young. But yeah, the more recent one I'm pretty sure I saw was with yeah. Anakin, like but young Anakin. I don't even Anakin. care anymore because. This is what's brilliant, right? I mean, do you like Disney in general? I feel like you <laughs> overall have a positive, positive for Disney. Do I like Disney? Yeah. Oh, I'm out. Yeah. Do you even know me? Did you? We never talked about Beauty and the Beast. I thought Beauty and the Beast was brilliant. I thought it was overrated. I was... What did they... They destroyed Beast. Belle was pretty good. I mean, like, Emma Thompson was pretty good. The CGI was just shocking. Yeah, I like Dan Stevens. I really like Dan Stevens' sensitive portrayal of yeah. the Beast, but I, I can see what you're saying. But the fact that they were able to be musically so uh, devotional to the original material, but from a political standpoint, were really making some moves to the point that they were banned in like Muslim countries and China, you know, around the world and so forth. I don't even get it. I mean, like, if they had never even said that the character was gay or that any of the characters were gay. Oh, no. It's clearly that Josh Gad was, was gay for... Um, yeah, it's for, pretty for clear. Gaston. Yeah. But it was the stuff that was around it that made it seem like it was such a big deal. But it Fine. wasn't. Fine. And I think the fact that everyone was like, it's such a big deal. But, like, don't we want to get to the point where it's, like, accepted and, like, not? Can we at least admit that compared to Pirates of the Caribbean, a nine thousand and Fast of the Furious, three thousand, you know, maybe was deserving of its place a little bit more, you know? Um, oh yeah, it would have been, but um, I still, I still don't think it was as good a film as everyone else. But at the same time, I'm in the same boat about that with Frozen. I didn't sure. quite like. Oh, that oh yeah, I don't like Frozen either. But if you say that Beauty and the Beast and Frozen are two of their weaker movies from the last few years, I just, uh, you know, it's the exception that proves the rule 
for me. Yeah. And I don't even like Pixar movies. I don't even see that shit. Like, I love Toy Story back in the day. The original Toy Story written by mm. <laughs> Joss Whedon. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, with Tom Hanks and the amazing crew. But it's not my thing. Actually, Star Wars Rebels is the first, like, 3D animation I've really gotten into. Uh, see, what you need to get into is Young Justice. Yeah. That's what you need to watch. Right, which make a note. I hope you're making a note of all these things because in my my interview of you, I want to talk about all this stuff. Um, but I want to continue the story here. So you grew up with the prequels, not a huge fan. So you see Force Awakens. So when you walk out of Force Awakens, if you can remember, what are you thinking? I actually saw the film with my parents a little bit after it came out. And I did. I really did enjoy it. I thought Ray was fantastic. Um, looking back, I think if that came out when I was when I was younger, I think I would have latched onto that film. I think it would have been great. However, Rogue One, walking out of that, that film is perfect for my age group now because I think that is phenomenal for me here as an adult. So I see the value of both of them. My, my uh, 16 to 20 year old students, it's no question that Rogue One is the, mm. is the one. And in fact, I know old school guys, like way older than me, like in their 40s, who put Rogue One just under Empire as their favorite yeah. Star Wars movies. And, you know, I've mentioned this before, mm. as excited I was for Star Wars, The Force Awakens, they had announced Rogue One pretty definitively beforehand. And I was the guy who was already saying, I'm more excited for Rogue One uh, than The Force Awakens. And honestly, The Force Awakens beat my expectations because of the character and dialogue. I mean, the Han Solo dealing with the various you know, clans of smugglers who were trying to kill him and his relationship with Finn and Rey. Um, and my favorite line of all of Star Wars, by the way, um, ever, is Harrison Ford talking to Finn when they get to Maz Kanata's planet. He goes, you got a bigger problem here, big deal. Women always find out the truth. Always. And I love that line because it scares the shit out of Finn because he realizes he has to admit to Ray that he's a phony. Yeah. But it also reflects his relationship with Princess Leia, which again, when you and, read the yeah. extended canon, is even more powerful. But even without that in the movie, when they see each other and his shame. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to ask you, though. Like, I, I might not be up to date with a whole lot of different stuff, but you Good. must have heard that they've changed Kylo Ren's scar. Yeah, I don't care. What do you? Th you don't care? Oh, okay. Well, that's simple enough. <laughs> I want character and good dialogue. Um, by the way, it was announced the Last Jedi is going to be exactly two and a half hours with credits. So, oh gee, <laughs> that's as long as Wonder Woman. But really, I didn't it, realize Wonder Woman was that long. It was like two hours and twenty six minutes. And so, if Wonder Woman dragged in the end, you could forgive it because it really was on the back of 1.8 lead characters mm. um with star wars you've got the uh finn 
storyline with the new Asian lady who looks amazing. They go, who's a grease monkey engineer, and they're going on a mission together. You've got the Kylo Ren dark side stuff with Hux and Phasma, who didn't do anything in the first movie, but people love because it's Gwendolyn Christie from Game of Thrones, and she's awesome. So people are excited for that. You've got an extended Leia storyline with Oscar Isaac. And as we wrap up towards the end here, Brittany, I just want to send something out into the Bizzlecast world. And this isn't me exaggerating or over-interpreting because Ryan Johnson says this specifically in interviews that during the development of the script, he would go to Carrie Fisher's house every day for weeks and they would sit around for hours and just shoot the shit and talk about the script. And he said that even though she's not credited on it and she didn't care about that at all at that point, he said some of the best lines and moments came from her. She's a well-known script doctor for some of the best movies in the 90s. And, you know, he said they would shoot the shit for like three, four hours at a time. And Carrie Fisher would just be doing her Carrie Fisher thing where she's just spewing out poetry and crazy ideas. And then she would like give a one-liner or two-liner and he would be like, that distills everything we just talked about. It's going straight in the script. And so mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher might not be credited in the script and she doesn't give a fuck and now she's dead. But even when she was alive, definitely did not give a fuck. But what we are going to get is the best Leia writing ever because we have the best writer who's also a director that's ever done it. I mean, even Kushner didn't direct the movie. Um, I'm sorry, Kasdan didn't direct the movies that he wrote for. Lucas did, but when Lucas directed and wrote, it wasn't great with the prequels. And Ryan Johnson directing and writing. And we know that Leia has a major role in this movie. And you can just see from the pictures. And we know that... I don't know how you feel about Oscar Isaac. Have you watched Ex Machina yet? Which I'm forcing on you. You probably haven't had time. I haven't. I've been so busy editing and stuff. Well, they, I've been know, wanting to, though. The new big Alex Garland writer-director movie, who did Ex Machina and was involved on Sunshine and uh, other movies, uh, is Annihilation, which is a very popular novel. And it's Natalie Portman, Michelle Rodriguez, Tessa Thompson. Looks so good. Um, it's four uh, women who are the main characters. And it's sort of like Sphere, you know, the Michael Crichton novel, where they discover an anomaly, anomaly and they don't know if it's alien or human from the future or whatever so it looks like a combination of dark sci-fi and horror and whatever which is what was great about ex machina and natalie portman in that crew um oscar isaac is in it as well um i love oscar isaac and he sold poe dameron with very little screen time as just a badass pilot but it's it's pretty open secret that carrie fisher as general leia is grooming him. And by the way, the Princess Leia thing, it's just a title. Like, the fact that she's a princess... She's general. She's really a general. She was a general from the beginning. Yeah. And if you follow the extended canon, the Clone Wars and Rebels, like, she is a general. She's a secret agent and a general from the beginning. Now it's just a title. One of the coolest things I've seen is when they take um, the from Princess Robin Bride, Wright. Princess Buttercup, 
And then they take Princess Leia. Yep. And they say, I love how my princesses are now generals. Mm. And it shows the, yeah, Robin Wright, you said, like, shows her now as uh, General Antiope from Wonder Woman. I love that image. So, the new Blade Runner movie, really quick. Ryan Gosling, mm. Harrison Ford, Robin Wright. I didn't know Robin Wright was in that. What? Yeah, she's the main female lead. Um, looking spectacular. I mean, just... I, it doesn't even matter, but just, just her presence is just ridiculous. Uh, I said to my dad, is it possible Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford are sort of universally considered the best looking actors of their respective generations? Yeah, possibly. I think, I think um, Ryan Gosling is my brother's man crush. So <laughs> I don't see it. You don't see it? No, I think he's pretty attractive. I no, mean, like, I don't see it. I'm a Chris Hemsworth guy. I'm a Chris. Pa- I'm a Chris guy. I love the Chris's. That's the Chris's. Yeah. Other yeah, than well, Chris, Chris Pratt. Chris Hemsworth is pretty hard to look past, considering his muscles are so big. But um, cheesh. And his face is so perfect. I mean, again, as a straight guy, I would never actually be able to go through with it. But like one of the best uh, reasons to become a woman, either briefly or permanently, would be to like seriously crush on Chris Hemsworth. Um. It's funny, when you see Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, and Chris Pine in various lights, they do really look like each other. I've seen some Chris Pine pictures in particular that look like Chris Hemsworth, which makes sense because of the Star Trek connection. Mm. Um, anyways, point being, I think the coolest new part of the new movie, and what I was going to say was, the reason it's two and a half hours is because they've got four or five separate storylines with the main characters. I didn't even bring up Luke and Ray, which is what most people are excited about. Uh, yeah. You know, the Jedi stuff. And, you know, they've specifically said that Luke is the last Jedi, but in foreign languages, the last Jedi has been represented in, in a plural uh, in Spanish and French and so forth. Uh, and so, it, you know, and he's talking about the end of the Jedi. And if you watch Clone Wars, but especially Rebels, the notion of being in the middle, being a Force user in the middle um, with Ahsoka and other other Force creatures that they meet it is a very important thing. It'll be really interesting to see where they go with that. Because in the prequels, the Jedi fuck up? I mean, how they handled Anakin? I mean, from the beginning, they were constantly probing and testing him, ignoring his feelings. That you know, they turned a blind eye to his love for Natalie Portman and what the Emperor was doing. I mean, the Jedi really fucked up. Um, mm. And so that's what I'm hoping to see in the new movie. But just to run back to the main uh, core, uh, point and then finish, because I'm so fascinated by someone of your age and when you came into it and the fact that Rogue One really mobilized, I was saying before The Last Jedi that I was more excited for Rogue One because we had seen tons of Skywalker Jedi movies, but we had never seen a straight-up war movie mm. with tons of people who had had no or a very loose connection to the force. I mean, we know Chirrut, the blind guy, had a connection to the force. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Jay's, uh, Jen, uh, Jin Erso's mom, Lyra, uh, was initially a Jedi or someone who was force sensitive. They decided to take that out and they just re- represented that in the crystal uh, necklace that she had. Um, and so I ask you, 
when you compare a movie like Force Awakens that's all over the place and mostly ups but does have some big downs but the characters are amazing versus just a, what I consider a transcendent film in Rogue One, which do you think going forward has a bigger impact? Because on the surface, you'd say it has to be Force Awakens because we're at least getting two more episodes with these characters, right? Mm. Absolutely. But I would argue that, f- but uh, really quickly, I would argue that Rogue One actually opened up more possibilities for them from a uh, artistic standpoint going forward. I think I think you're absolutely right there. I think that the Force Awakens um, follows suit in everything that they've done in the um, traditional films and the prequels. So that will continue the trait, and they'll continue the core storyline of like you know the Skywalkers and then of Rey and stuff. And who knows where it's going to end? I mean, these, these wars could keep going, but um, definitely Rogue One has allowed. Uh, has allowed Star Wars to go darker on those other things. And like I said before, the uh, The Force Awakens would be perfect for me as a young girl, and Rogue One is perfect for me now in the age that I am at. So by continuing this um, this trend in going off and doing these darker ones, but keeping almost not quite family friendly, but you know, like um, just more general with the the main Star Wars stories, they're actually going to appeal to a lot of different audiences. Mm. So okay, I have two main questions for you, and then we're going to wrap up. Um, when we talked about this a few podcasts ago, you talked about how even though you love Jin and you love Rogue One, you identified more with Daisy Ridley's Ray. Yeah. And okay. I'm curious about whether, you know, Star Wars, you know, like Wonder Woman, the characters overwhelm any possible flaws in the actual movies because of how great the actors and the characters are. Is that the mm-hmm. case with Ray for you? Well, I, I'm going to be honest. I've only actually seen The Force Awakens once, so I'm going <sighs> off just like a, a faint memory. But I, I think I. It gets better. It does. Like when you really do attach to a character that does kind of like give you some blinkers and you don't look <laughs> at all the other stuff that's kind of like, oh, that's not very good. Um, like, I'll be honest, it, Wonder Woman does have some flaws, but those flaws are minor. They're inconsequen- inconsequential for everything that it stood for and everything that it, yeah. w- it made. So um, I think that's a similar thing with The Force Awakens in that. Um, I loved Ray because she kind of didn't really have that much of a choice in the matter. She's kind of thrust into this craziness. And um, whereas uh, Jin, she's kind of running away from it. So it's, it, they're two very different characters, but yeah, I, I hope I answered your question there. <laughs> well, well just, just to finish the thought, you know, I, I talk about with, with my friend Adam. I don't know if you listened to that podcast. I think it was the second uh, of the Star Wars series where we really debated, you know. I mean, he strongly feels that Force Awakens is the better movie. And I strongly feel that I love Force Awakens, but Rogue One is the better movie. And I joked about how, you know, the most common phrase on the Bizzlecast, for better or worse, and this might be a platitude, is uh, sold through performance. And I thought Daisy Ridley was spectacular, but she also had amazing writing. 
I think Felicity Jones had to be extremely subtle and economical and efficient with the lines and the scenes that she had. Because there were so many characters and they had so little time to develop it. And so it was almost a higher level of difficulty for me, mm-hmm. um, I think. Um, and it, it's interesting to see how these protagonists will be going forward. And so... As a final uh, question leading into our uh, interview, and in, in, uh, is it a day or two days? God damn it. It's, <sighs> It'll be two days for me. Two days for you, right. Uh, we're going to talk about Comic-Con and, and the state of nerddom worldwide and so forth. Here was the thought I had, Britt. This will be my final thought. I'd be interested in your reaction. So, comic book movies are coming from the comics and being put to movie form. This might be a really obvious point, but the the, the deeper point I'm trying to make is uh, the way it affects the artistic process. Whereas Star Wars is clearly a film medium that has now been applied to cartoons and books, especially the books are really good. The comic books are okay. But you know what I mean? It's starting from yeah. the film and going back to the written material. And the comic books are going from the written material to the film material. And so I ask you, A, why do you, do you personally like the comic book model more? And this might just be a case of you identifying with characters and growing up with comic books. So that's fine. Um, and B, which do you think is more sustainable over the long haul? Uh, which is a tough question. So you can address either or both of those. Uh, well, I actually think Star Wars has done it more clever. They've built an empire um, from the films and being able to expand from that in any direction with any medium, because it's certainly easier, I would reckon, to, uh, well, to an extent, to write a book than to write a film. But to my understanding, the first Star Wars film was meant to be a standalone. However, they liked it so much, they decided to expand on it. Am I right to say that? Well, George Lucas had the nine-episode uh, idea in his brain the whole time. Which is why when Star Wars came out, it was just called Star Wars. And then on uh, video release, it was called Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, which immediately built the suspense of, like, (laughs) what are the first three and the final third, right? Yeah. Yeah. But um, but that's that's the thing where it's the biggest difference with trying to take a book or a um, a comic book to film is very difficult because a book you're going to miss things and a comic book you're going to have to add things and you see that with um, the Killing Joke and it's very difficult to get that right. Marvel are doing very well; they are definitely doing very well. Um, so I think although movie to books and movie to other media seems to be a better way to go. But do you, I guess the question I'm asking is, do you independently think comic book movies are great uh, removed from the material or that you're biased towards them being someone who grew up with these comics and characters the same way I'm biased having grown up with Star Wars from such a young age? There's definitely a huge bias that I, I watch the films with because I watch it and I look for the um, the underlying messages. And that's what's difficult to make a, cof- um, a comic book film good is that if it doesn't have 
those things that the fans will like. More often than not, and I'm really just I'm taking a big dig at DC here, more often than not, it's quite an empty film. So you can really you can see that in um, just in in Batman versus Superman where they've taken a lot of stills from panels of comic books and you'd sit there and you'd flip out because you're like that's from The Dark Knight Returns that's incredible yeah but anyone who hasn't read comic books it's the Watchmen 300 thing yeah yeah it's, it just goes straight over their loyal. heads and it's, it's too loyal it's yeah, yeah it's very loyal but I mean it's trying to find that balance. Taika Waititi's not even trying to with Thor Ragnarok. I mean, he's drawing from Planet Planet Hulk. He's drawing from Thor Ragnarok comic and a bunch of others. But it's clear that it's a Chris Hemsworth Taika Waititi production interpretation. And I think that's really cool. Even Tony Stark is quite different from in the books. Yeah, go ahead. And I think that's really the best way to do it is that you need to really... Movies should really be an interpretation, not... Uh, a replication if that makes sense um for another example maze runner i hated the book however the film was pretty good the film was all right and it was really an adaptation it wasn't a um piece for piece recreation i think well blade runner is going to give us a, a look into this but more so i think ready player one uh one of the most acclaimed sci-fi uh, books that's sort of between YA and adults from the last few years being adapted by Steven Spielberg with a huge budget and major cast coming out next year because Ready Player One takes a lot of the YA cliches and completely subverts them in a sort of worshipful portrayal uh, and love of 80s and 90s nerd culture and how that could become a cult thing down the road in the future with young kids, right? The same way mm-hmm. that my generation, Brett, I never thought your generation or the younger generation would like Star Wars, especially because of the prequels. Like, it seemed impossible. It seemed like if Star Wars was going to be rebooted, it would have to be completely from scratch. But against all odds, it built a new generation of fans. And I think the generational thing is what's so interesting. And I agree with you that Star Wars is is more sustainable especially because they're only doing one movie a year essentially and even though last jedi and han solo are coming out six months apart there's then going to be like a 20 month gap before the final movie and they're saying they're not going to do any movies in 2020 other than indiana jones which is lucasfilm and therefore disney um and they want, you know, because of all the firings and everything, I think they want to take a step back and figure out. But also the success of the animated series and the fact that like Ahsoka and Kanan and these and Sabine are among the most popular Star Wars characters now, even though they're animated, um, is a really interesting thing. But they also always have only one, maximum two shows going at once. And so I think Star Wars, is, they've said they're trying to avoid the overexposure of comic books. And I think one thing that we should bring up, uh, and then we'll tie this up one thing that we should bring up in our full podcast in a couple days is the extent to which marvel and dc are making a suicidal run towards overexposure sooner rather than later um Mm. and i think because thor ragnarok black panther and infinity war are all within like seven months of one another marvel is going to be a little uh, buffered because of the great directors uh and the characters in these movies especially black panther and thor um 
I never know how to say this because I don't like to insult you because I know you're a giant Zack Snyder fan and I really appreciate him as like a philosophical thinker of comic book movies. But I do think the Joss Whedon version, just like the Ron Howard version of uh, of, uh, Han Solo, is going to end up being better or at least more appealing to the mainstream audience overall. Um, I completely agree. Zack Snyder's yeah. what Zack Snyder has done is not for the masses at all, yeah. and that's not what you really want for a DC film. But I, yeah, I yeah, I, I can I can. This is what we were talking about before. I'm like Switzerland, yeah. and that I sit in the middle. I'm a gray Jedi. But, You're totally uh, a gray Jedi. You're Ahsoka. Jedi You're totally Ahsoka. I, I want you yeah. to get obsessed with Ahsoka, Ahsoka somehow because she's the coolest okay. female Jedi ever. I How mean, do it's I not spell that? A H S O K A. Post a million things. You can see it on Rebels. Rebels is um, maybe I'll send you because I know you don't have a ton of time. Maybe I'll just send you the best of episodes, like the best two or three from each of the first three seasons, the ones that are very like plot and Jedi heavy, character heavy. Um, Wait, did she I, yeah. become a gray Jedi? Did you just like spoil something? No, no. At the end of the Clone Wars, she gets framed like towards the part where Anakin turns to the dark side. She's <laughs> so you spoil Padawan. something else. No, me. you're never you're never gonna watch the Clone Wars. I'm not spoiling Rebels because Rebels is fantastic and you'll love it. But uh, just she leaves the Jedi Order by choice. She yeah. goes into hiding and she can't stay hidden. And she uh, links up in the first year after Vader becomes Vader and the Emperor takes over. And Ahsoka meets up with Bail Organa, who is Leia's adoptive dad and the first major leader of the rebellion. Even though he's able to hide it for like twenty years, which is awesome. And she becomes Fulcrum, who's the head of their intelligence agency, um, for about ten, fifteen years, and that leads into Rebels and. Uh, you know she still got the force power she got two lightsabers she holds them backwards they're white and, and she has this super defensive style of fighting where she has two lightsabers she holds them backwards and she runs it's almost like an anime uh, it's it's fucking spectacular it's this great freaking amazing yeah it's really i'm just i'm looking great. up pictures while you're telling me this and i see the little white lightsabers and see how she's holding them. i am she her character is very appealing it's so appealing. And, and the young version of her in the Clone Wars looks exactly like young Rosario Dawson. And Rosario Dawson, queen of the nerds, loves Star Wars. She's already in Disney. Uh, Star Wars follows her on Twitter, and they don't follow anyone but their own actors and directors on Twitter. And they follow Rosario Dawson. And so she made it clear that she wants to be Ahsoka, and, like a play an older yeah. Ahsoka in real life, probably in the Obi-Wan film. And I'm actually working on a treatment of that film <laughs> even though i know it's already in production but probably not for the film but like what comes before it basically that would lead up to it in the canon books um and that's what i love about this universe is that there's so much room for creativity even while it's being directed you know where it's like <sighs> i hate to say it but like depending on how how much you love iron man there's like seven Iron Mans, you know? Mm. And so it's hard to really get attached to a character. And when they made Captain America briefly a Hydra agent, it like really alienated a lot of people. Um, and so if they make Luke go to the dark side, they're going to really have to sell it, you know? Or if they make Ray and Kylo actually fall for each other, which I don't think is going to happen. My prediction is yeah. Kylo saves Ray in the final movie by sacrificing his life. That would be my prediction. I don't. I don't think Ray's going to have a love interest. I think she they might can't. tease something, but I no. think they're going to keep her. You know, just just 
just as herself, just as her figuring herself yep. out, her history. You know what's great about Ahsoka? Mm. They never mention her. She's an alien, but she's clearly, you know, a beautiful woman. They never mention her gender in the entirety of five or six seasons of Clone Wars and three seasons of Rebels. I mean, she's just Ahsoka, you know, yeah. she just happens to be a woman, just like Ray, right? I mean, other than Finn, got a boyfriend, cute boyfriend, <laughs> you know, <laughs> other than Finn hitting on her a little bit, it's, you know. Yeah. It, they don't really talk about it. They don't really talk about it with Jin. And like, how do they express Jin's femininity? Her relationship with Diego Luna's Cassian Andor. And I, I think, oh, I, I've been wanting to ask you this, and this will be my final thought, because question. I think Diego Luna and Felicity Jones have insane uh, physical chemistry in Rogue One. Mm. And that's part of what helps sell everything, including up to the end on the beach when they're hugging each other and it's the end of the world. You know, I, I, I really buy it at that point. Yeah. Um, and this is the sold through performance, you know, it's, it's such a crazy film in that I was just, I was just thinking about, it. I think the biggest thing about that film is that um, it relates to something I was told when I was younger, where if you have a story or if you're doing a speech or you're doing whatever, you have to start with a bang, end with a bang, and get away with murder in the middle. And the fact that they end with the most powerful Darth Vader scene we have ever seen, just it overrides the terrible dad joke that dad, Darth Vader did earlier on in the movie. <laughs> so, Who cares? I don't even care about that. You, know, you don't want to choke on your ambition? you need corniness in george lucas movies but you know what things like that i think the success and the brilliance of the new movies and cartoons and stuff have actually really improved george lucas's legacy Mm. because at least now we can go back to the prequels and even if we don't like it there's amazing world building i mean Planets like Ilum and Naboo and Coruscant and Geonosis, all these planets introduced in the Clone Wars are so important, including in the movie Saw Gerrera, played by Forrest Whitaker, was a Clone Wars character. And so that was the first ever that came from the cartoons into the films with a major actor. Um, they have a bunch of cameos from characters and ships and stuff from Rebels as well. And so, you know, I think... My problem with the comic book movies at this point is that comic book characters, by their very nature, are extremely selfish, and they do ultimately do the good, th- the right thing. But I think the central message in Star Wars, as represented best in Rogue One, is it's not about us; it's about everybody else. And as they say in Rebels, to be truly alive is to help other people. And I think that's an amazing message. And I'm not saying that message isn't a part of the comic book movies, but if you look of everyone from the, you know, Henry Cavill Superman to the Ben Affleck Batman to even the Dark Knight Batman to Tony Stark and Thor... There's so much selfish, selfishness and self-absorption to overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe that's more interesting in some ways. I don't know. I, I have actually never looked at it from that perspective. And you're absolutely right. Because I think it's in trying to, um, with Star Wars, it's such a global thing. Whereas quite a lot of the times with uh, superheroes and their villains, it's usually the superhero and just the villain. The town does, you know, 
the town is um, or the city is in the in the uh, I guess the sniper's sight or whatever they they got they're going to get hurt in effect of whatever their battle is doing. But at the same time, it's it is pretty much about the hero and the villain, but it's also particularly about the hero upholding the law. And that's really the core to a lot of the comics. So that's probably it's probably why you think it sounds like it looks very kind of self-centered because the character, the the good guy, wants to stay on the straight and narrow. Because it is, it's the core thing of if they don't, they're going to, you know, be just as bad as their villains. And that's why Supergirl is one of the better comic book characters right now for me. Compared, you know, mm-hmm. and again. People always, I mean, I'm not saying always, my friends are super liberal, but people point out that I have a very strong female bias in this stuff. (laughs) And this is the Carrie Fisher thing. I still think Princess Leia is the fucking tops, as they used to say. And so I compare everything to that, you know? And I think men have things to offer, but I think women, when they're fully powered, are better leaders, uh... You know, I won't go into my support of Hillary Clinton, but this figures into that <laughs> as well. Um, because women have a natural instinct for empathy and sympathy and care and compassion that comes harder to men. And even Jessica Jones, with her cold-ass heart, when it melts, it really melts, you know? Mm. Um, but I think that when you look at the CW, Kara is, again, almost in the more Star Wars, uh, you know, of I'm going to sacrifice no matter what to save other people. Whereas with Barry and Oliver, it's really never clear when it's about themselves mm. and when it's about other people. And again, that is interesting as a character study. And what's what people love about Game of Thrones is everyone's radically selfish. And so that's an interesting experiment, right? Maybe that's more like our society. But I prefer the optimistic message <laughs> of, you know, teaching four to 12-year-olds that helping other people is the most important and, you know... Uh, glorious and fulfilling thing that you can do um and so that's what's so powerful for me so okay so we're gonna be recording a couple days i really appreciate you coming on although i'm sacrificing more right now because it's 7 13 a.m have you been up all night (laughs) yeah yeah i pull pull an all-nighter about every uh two weeks uh it's a scientific thing um oh okay I never make it past 3 a.m. <laughs> well, it's it's hard, but the evidence shows, because I do suffer from some depression, anxiety, and so forth, and uh, okay. evidence shows that sleeping too much, you know, which medication and other things can do, uh, actually can contribute to depression, and that some sleep deprivation can be actually good for you. Oh. Uh, and uh, Well, if, if, if it's good for you, then I guess... Go for it. I'm one of those weird people who just, ever since, like, mom and dad never had to put me to bed, I would go to bed. I am a sleeper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, when I get, when when it's 6 p.m. my time and 8 a.m. your time the next day, and I'm getting, like, fully coherent messages from you, and you're, like, preparing for work with coffee and everything and messaging me at the same time, I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> I need to get my uh, Yeah, together. so, yeah, I tend to wake up at 20 past 6, and I'm sitting on the couch catching up on all messages who because everyone else is up at night i'm i'm in bed i don't care if you're messaging me at 11 a.m i'm asleep sleep comes first i'll get to you in the morning (laughs) okay so one last specific question then we're definitely wrapping up this question is 
um, what do you think is the greatest weakness of Star Wars? And this can be either uh, a specific experience of yours. It could be more sort mm-hmm. of philosophical, foundational. It's grandness. That's 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 it. It's grandness. They have such a wide, wonderful world. Bordering on grandiosity. Is that what you're kind of getting to? Trying to put that. Trying to yeah. Trying to put that in uh, a film is very difficult they have a large cast they have a large world to investigate and trying to keep that within a in a bite-sized film um i think that's their greatest difficulty their greatest downfall downfall if it it can ever really be a a downfall but it's just trying to um a lot can be said and just relying on the audience's knowledge and insinuation as well but I would argue that in our offline discussions about Star Wars, as well as our online discussions, your sort of innate understanding of the important parts of it prove why it's perennially successful and popular. Because with the Marvel movies, you have to watch like 12 to just feel like you're caught up. Mm. But I feel like you seeing the prequels as a kid, but specifically Force Awakens and Rogue One at this age, like you know all you need to know. And then when you see Ray training with Luke in the new movie, like you, you'll really get all you need to know. And I'm not saying don't go back to the original trilogy, but I like how each movie communicates a lot of important themes about yeah. it. And uh I guess, you know, do you like the notion that, and by the way, Lucasfilm and Disney are run by two women. I mean, they're run by two women who have worked with Spielberg and Lucas for a long time. Kathleen Kennedy, I forgot the other woman's name, who's (laughs) her assistant, but she runs like the Disney side of things. And Kathleen Kennedy's amazing. And, uh, you know, I talk about how they're willing to fire directors left and right who they feel aren't in the spirit of Star Wars, and they don't care about the PR hit in order to get the movie right. And I really respect that, you know? Um do you feel like that's smart or do you feel like this is going to catch up with them that they're just like, you know, just constantly firing and shaking up things? Well, I think it's good to definitely keep things fresh, but it is a shame that um, that seems to be a constant thing. It's not just with the the Star Wars films. A lot of films have like, like the flash at the moment. I'm not sure if it even has a director because it's just churning through and trying to find a a one to settle on it. It does get, frustrating i mean especially for these poor directors and stuff when they're you know some of them if they didn't you think that if the person is if you don't think they're going to do a good job then don't hire them like in my understanding you're going to interview this person and get a feeling and an understanding of what they want to bring to the table so unless they don't reach what they said they were going to do then i don't understand like uh, directors are directors all liars is that what's happening in hollywood at the moment no no <laughs> they're no. all just lying their way to the job this is what this is what's happening is when disney bought star wars they wanted to see huge money immediately and jj mm. abrams made them 2 billion dollars and immediately they should have signed him from there to do the ninth movie so i'm not upset about this because he should have been doing the ninth from the beginning and have someone very dark and auteur and artistic like Ryan Johnson to do the middle one. So I think it's working out great. I think they should have had Ron Howard do Han Solo from the beginning. Cause they're working with Larry Kasdan who wrote fucking empire strikes back and Raiders of the lost Ark, the first Indiana Jones movie, like and directed some of the best movies in the eighties and nineties and written and so forth. So what I think 
and I almost know happened is Disney looked at people like Colin Trevorrow who hadn't done anything but made a ton of money with Jurassic World and were like hire these young white guys right Gareth Edwards did Godzilla Rogue One and he did a great job with Rogue One but they still had to bring in Tony Gilroy to reshoot 30 to 40 percent from the Bourne uh, movies and uh, other classic action movies um, to make it feel more like Star Wars because Gareth Edwards like just an example he wanted to film it like a war movie and they were like this is great but it doesn't feel like star wars we don't do Mm. first person handheld like it just doesn't fit and normally i'm not one for conformity but the way they're building the new universe it works for me and so i think there's a corrective going on where they, they they replaced lord and miller from the lego movies and uh they replaced they got rid of Josh Trank from Fantastic Four immediately and they replaced Colin Trevorrow with JJ Abrams and they paired up Gareth Edwards with some uh, more experienced directors and writers so all those firings and hirings and so forth is what I think Kathleen Kennedy wanted from the beginning cuz she's worked with people like Ron Howard and Steven Spielberg forever um and you know I I I think it's worth it like is it going to be edgy no like Rogue One's probably going to be the edgiest Star Wars movie we get for a while, but like I'm yeah. cool, I'm cool with that, you know. And again, I always say the fact that Gareth Edwards pr- proposed the everyone's got to die, and here how it's going to happen to here's how it's going to happen to Disney, and they put up no fight and were immediately on board shows that you know the the uh, Mickey Mouse Club is a little hipper than maybe we we give them credit yeah. for. So, um, all right. Well, I really appreciate you doing this because I'm trying to get more Star Wars content out, but I'm really excited to hear about Comic-Con. Um, yeah, so definitely. really quickly, um, uh, so right now, my time, it's Friday, September 29th. Uh, it's Saturday, September 30th. Uh, when was your convention and uh, what was it called and where was it? And we'll revisit in the next podcast. Alrighty, so it was last weekend, Saturday, Sunday for Oz Comic Con. Um, I had to film cosplay and any interviews I could get a hold of. Unfortunately, I didn't get any stars, but I did get a cosplayer and an artist from Artist Valley, which is just where like everyone's trying to um, sell fan art and every everything else that they're doing. Um, the cosplay video should be out soon. The two interviews are already out on Facebook. Uh, if you wanted to catch a glimpse of a cosplay video before then, there is a short one for a pretty awesome Peter Parker on my YouTube channel and one yes. for a really cool balloon guy that I saw out the front of the Brisbane Convention Center while the uh, Oz Comic Con was running. So that would be great. And I'm going to put that at the top of the copy. So awesome. Well, thanks so much, Brick Girl. I'm really excited That's for right. our next conversation. And uh, yeah, I think. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm glad I could give you my very limited knowledge of. Uh, I love it. I love Star it. Star Wars. I listen to the most hardcore Star Wars nerds on podcasts all the time. I, I know their opinions. I, I like hearing people who are who are casual but observant about the whole thing. Yeah. Great Jedi. <laughs> yeah, and I know you said you got some cosplayers and whatever, blah 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 blah. But like, I, I, uh, to be honest, I'm most excited about hearing about your just sort of people watching observation of oh, the yeah, culture yeah. and where it is at 2017. 
So there's the tease for you, Bizzlecast listener. So this will be out on uh, a little bit later today, assuming I get some caffeine in me and keep going uh, for as long as possible. Uh, and then uh, our podcast will drop, you know, Monday or Tuesday uh, next week. So thank you, Brit Girl. Thank you, listeners. Look for Brit's uh, links in the copy on SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, and so forth. And we are out.